0: Ninety-one percent of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Three, two, one,
1: zero. All engine running. Lift off. We have a lift off.
2: It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. Welcome. I want to talk about some news that it it happened over the Thanksgiving holiday. We haven't had a chance to get to it because we've had to play some catch up. I do want to get to Stacey Abrams lawsuit. I have read it and I I have made my way through the climate change report that was put out by the administration. Uh, Although the administration doesn't like it. I want to talk about that some, but I want to begin with John Allen Cho. John Allen Cho is the missionary who went to North Sentinel Island, kayaked there, and was killed, has been buried on the beach there by the natives. And I got to tell you, the uh, people are really comfortable these days hating people of faith uh, in their condemnation and scorn of what this guy did. And I actually disagree with what he did, but I understand the motivations by which he did it. And now there's a big argument over whether uh, he should be uh, his body brought back or should the Islanders be prosecuted or what have you. Um, Matt Walsh over at Daily Wire thinks that they need to be punished in some way for killing the guy. Uh, If you haven't heard the story, it's become a big media story in the last couple of days, if only because of the outrage uh, by some over what he tried to do, and then the outrage over the outrage, which is very typical these days, is it not? I mean, most news stories are about outrage over outrage these days, as opposed to actually anything that happened. Um, But yeah, you do. So let, let me break this down for you. There is an island, North Sentinel Island, Sentinelese tribe members, they live a Stone Age existence. Uh, they have no contact with the outside world. And the island, North Sentinel Island, is actually closer to Malaysia than it is to India, but it's controlled by India. Uh, the islands around it are controlled by India. It has a military presence, and it keeps a three-mile um, protection buffer around this island. Uh, these people, they they hated colonialism. They were very primitive the English attempted to go onto to the island. Uh, disease was spread. Many of the people back in the 1800s were killed as a result. The last major encounter that India had with the this tribe led to most of the tribe yet again being killed by disease. Just by being coming into contact with people from the west. Uh, they got sick. Things that don't make you and me sick made them sick. So India decided they needed to protect the island. The people live, I mean, it is completely Stone Age. Uh, when last the Indian government tried to check on these people, they shot arrows and threw spears at the helicopters. They are clearly aware of the outside world's existence, and there have been people who have encountered the islanders. Uh, there were a couple of fishermen who got washed up on the island and survived, but by and large, if you show up on this island, you can expect to die they kill outsiders, uh, and I suspect they kill outsiders largely because they know that the prior encounters with all outsiders have brought them disease and death. So India doesn't want you going to the island, and they don't want you on their island. Inner John Allen Cho, who was convinced after hearing stories about this island as a teenager. He became convinced that he was going to go to this island and share the gospel with this island and it led to his death and now people are arguing over him but why did he feel compelled to go so there is um scripture matthew 24 verse 14 and jesus tells the his disciples the gospel of this kingdom will be preached in the whole world as testimony to all the nations and then the end will come uh, and then in the Great Commission, Jesus tells his his uh, the apostles to go forth and to preach and teach and baptize in his name and spread the gospel to the Four Corners. Um, this is a prophecy that Christians believe. It is the prophecy that spurred on missionaries uh, for hundreds of years. In addition to the command to go forth and preach and teach and, and baptize in Christ's name, uh, Christ actually said in Scripture, in Matthew, that uh, the gospel will be preached in the whole world, and then the end will come. If you go to the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., there is a wall that displays all of the countries or all the languages in which there is still no Scripture translation. And there are Christian missionaries who have made it their mission to translate the Bible into all of the languages of the earth. It's one reason, you know, a lot of people say, well, Jesus could come tomorrow. Well, actually, no, he couldn't come tomorrow. Uh, He couldn't come next week and he couldn't come next month. Uh, The the day and the hour, no one knows, but we can, I can tell you for certain, he can't come in the next month. And the reason he can't come in the next month is because the scripture says that one of the ways to know that the time will be near is that, uh, scripture will have been spread uh, to the whole earth. Well, you can't spread it to the whole earth if you can't speak the language and there are still languages into which scripture must be interpreted. So it may be close because I think there are, I've, I've been told there are less than 40 remaining languages into which scripture needs to be translated. Well, John Allen Cho, his mind was mindful of this prophecy that, the gospel has to be preached throughout the whole world before the second coming can happen. And he's mindful of uh, Jesus's commandment that you are to be a missionary and to spread the word. And so he felt compelled to go. Now, I think his plan was poorly executed and he should not have done it. Uh, He should not have done it for a number of reasons, One is in his zeal to spread the word, he probably would have done more harm than good. Well, he did. He got himself killed. But also, he could have annihilated the entire tribe on that island. Again, the last time that tribe had encounters with outsiders, it was two of their children were forcibly taken off the island with two elderly people. The elderly people succumbed to disease caused by someone off the island having the common cold. The two children were brought back sick, and it managed to spread the sickness from the common cold, no less, managed to spread itself through the whole island and wiped out a significant portion of the population, we do believe, because uh, many of the buildings, we could tell from aerial surveys, had been abandoned, and there was no sign of the people. The population has, over time, rebuilt itself, uh, but I'm sure they remember getting ill from encounters with outsiders, and they wound up killing John Allen Show, not only that, he apparently made his way onto the island the day before and had a spear thrown. Uh, It hit his Bible, and he evacuated the island and then made his way back to the island. So I I don't think he should have done it. I think he was not well thought out, uh, and he made it himself indispensable in ways he shouldn't have. There were groups he could have worked with and, and planned better. But I understand the zeal with which he went and the reasons he went and do not fault him for those reasons. And you can't have these nuanced conversations, of course, uh, anywhere. But I guess this radio program, I think it was a flawed execution. But the amount of hate and invective directed toward him, a a dead man now, he's buried on the beach. His family would like his body brought home. They don't know if they're going to be able to get to him because the natives will try to kill anyone who comes on the island. uh, I think they should leave him there. They should, they should absolutely leave him there. Now, there are some people who are worried that that just his rotting corpse could cause disease on the island, and, and that's fair. They need to think about that. But I'm just amazed at the number of people laughing at the guy, ridiculing the guy, uh, hating on the guy. There's a, a woman who writes for the uh, Boston Globe who had an article out I saw earlier just absolutely dripping with contempt for the guy over what he did. Um, her her title, missionary didn't die from tribesmen's arrows. He was killed by his own arrogance. And she essentially uh, says that uh, all Christians are colonizers and invaders. And, and um, some Christian compatriots have called him a martyr. He's not. He didn't die in defense of his religion. He made a fatal miscalculation. at a sign that his way and his God were the only acceptable path. Well, you know, if you're a Christian, you believe that your God is the only acceptable path. And, his God told him to spread the gospel. The reason I dwell on the story at the beginning is one, it's just impossible to have a nuanced conversation about this anymore, that you can understand his motives and think he went about it in a bad way and it led to his death. But two, it's just another reminder that the people feel really comfortable these days, particularly secular elitists uh, in urban areas and in the media and elsewhere will feel really, really comfortable uh, being very open about their, their contempt and hatred of people of faith. I don't really buy into the whole war on Christmas stuff, but there is certainly in this country and elsewhere growing hostility towards people of faith. And what's even more staggering to me is a sheer willingness to be willfully ignorant about their motives, about their sacred texts. I mean, you, you live in the United States, you would think people would understand Christianity, but it is more and more clear that urban areas have become so secular they don't even understand a lot of what they're talking about when it comes to these sorts of things. They, they don't understand a lot. They rely on a media that un- doesn't understand it. And it's going to shape more and more of these stories as they continue to come out. It is 27 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800, wsb talk When we come back. I will take your phone calls and we got to talk about Stacey Abrams, but I have got to get to tonight. I asked Charlie last night to cut up a bunch of audio uh, on what Sarah Sanders and some others had said about the the climate change report. And I never got a chance to get to it because I forgot we had the basketball game, but nonetheless, I want to get to that tonight. Um, All of the hysteria on the left about climate change. Here's just a hint. Let me just give them some advice. Maybe you should stop bringing up global warming when America goes to winter, because we're having like frigid winter right now in Atlanta. It's not even technically winter yet and its cold. And they're suddenly screaming about global warming the PR on this just looks dumb. But when we come back, Stacey Abrams. Is 39 after the hour. The phone number, 404-872-0750, one wsb Let's go to the phones. Uh, Rhonda and Grayson, you're up first. Welcome.
1: Hi, good evening. I was calling because I wanted to say that as an urban Christian, it, it's often difficult for me not to see the hypocrisy in evangelicals who openly support Donald Trump through his lies, and his hateful things that he says and his uh, obvious indiscretions in his marriage, but you guys still vote for him and you still support him. So I think it's kind of uh, being hypocritical. Well,
2: I, I I didn't vote for him uh, because of those very reasons uh, that you just said. Uh, And uh, there are, there are plenty of policies of the presidents that I do like uh, and that any Republican president would have given us. Um, And I do struggle, Rhonda, with what you're saying uh, in that there are a lot of evangelicals who seem to want to either defend or completely ignore uh anything and everything he says i think jerry falwell jr and and what's robert jeffries or whatever the the church of dallas are two of the worst there um the yeah. president i think really could kill someone uh on fifth avenue and and they would come out and say that it was biblical uh, and i've got a real problem with that uh, at the same time i've got a real problem with democrats on the other side who uh, support abortion on demand Uh, Because I think every life is is valuable and and created in the image of God. Uh, I have a real problem with Democrats who believe that a Christian baker should be forced to violate his faith and should be driven from business if he won't. Uh, I have a real problem with the Democrats increasingly believing uh, that faith has no place in the town square. And i got an increasing problem with Democrats who believe that uh, science says, unless science doesn't say that a boy can become a girl, and then who cares what science says? You're a bigot, a homophobe, and and a a transgender hater if you don't believe what science doesn't say. Uh, I got problems with all sides, Rhonda. And... I guess well, as I head to 2020, I got to decide um, who do I have bigger problems with? I, I, I didn't vote for the president in 2016, and I'm increasingly thinking the Democrats are going to put up someone who's far worse. And the question's going to become, do I go with the with the guy that I don't like? I think he's morally corrupt, but he's giving, I think, policies in this country that actually protect people of faith. Or do I go with the people who clearly hate the people of faith? Well, what, 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 what do I do? It, not a comfortable position to be in. I, I will tell you, though, I agree with you that there are a lot of people who serve as apologists for the president in the faith community, and I don't think they should. Uh, I try to praise the president as I can, and there are plenty of things to praise him about, including his judicial picks. Um, but I also... Try to be critical of the president when I think it's deserved and those tend to be a lot of times on his personal behavioral issues. I I wouldn't lump all of us together. I think that is a mistake to do to say you all do this when I mean I'm one who doesn't. and I've got a lot of friends in the conservative movement who are with me, but I got to tell you. We're all thinking 2020 we're going to wind up voting for the guy because however much we may not particularly like him at an individual level, uh, his policies are good and the other people hate us. Um, do we go with the guy who doesn't think we're the enemy or do we go with the people who think we are the enemy? I can tell you who I'd go with. And it's not them. It's not the Kamala Harris's and the Elizabeth Warren's of the world. Wow. And Paul Johnson, my goodness, God bless him. Uh, seriously, God bless the guy. I'm I'm not a huge tech fan, but... Uh, I'm married into tech fans as family, so God bless him. Uh, Let me talk about the Stacey Abrams lawsuit. I have read the lawsuit. Uh, One of the things that I think is absolutely staggeringly hilarious about this lawsuit is this particular passage. The U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, a bipartisan independent agency, found that among the states previously subject to preclearance by the Voting Rights Act, Georgia was the only state that had implemented voting restrictions in every category the commission expanded. Strict requirements for voter identification, documentary proof of U.S. citizenship, purges of voters from voter registration rolls, cuts to early voting, and a raft of closed or relocated polling locations. This is the heart of her lawsuit. Let's focus on four words. Cuts to early voting. Do you know who sponsored the legislation in the Georgia legislature to cut the time of early voting. Yeah, that would be Stacey Abrams. You know, when she's called out on this in the Democratic primary by Stacey Evans, her challenger, uh, she denied it at first, and before the debate was over, had to go back and say, "Oh no, no, I did it, I did it." Um. Uh, yeah. Look at the other stuff here. Strict requirements for voter identification. The Russians, the Democrats would have us believe, are trying to hack and steal the election. Shouldn't we want strict requirements for voter identification? Documentary proof of U.S. citizenship. Only U.S. citizens can vote. So shouldn't we have documented proof? Purges of voters from voter registration rolls. Do we want to leave dead people on the rolls? A raft of closed and relocated polling locations. Should polling locations be left open in areas where there aren't people forcing people to commute to those areas? I mean, this, by the way, is a local issue. You should understand. The Secretary of State's Office didn't even know about the locations that were being closed. But you've got a lot of local governments. I mean, take Wilkinson County. Wilkinson County is one of the largest counties in the state and also one of the poorest, probably the poorest county in the state. And it can't sustain all of its polling locations. It doesn't have the money. It will go bankrupt. And so it had to cut polling locations. And are we going to force it to go bankrupt? Are we going to have to subsidize the county? I mean, the crazy thing here is with the Abrams complaint, what she's essentially asking for is that the Secretary of State have more power to oversee elections in Georgia. And she doesn't actually come out and say that, but that's essentially what she wants. It's essentially what she wants. That or she wants the federal government to take over the state government role. And that's unconstitutional under the constitutional framework of federalism. Um, there are so many miscast things in here, cast a scandal that aren't. Uh, and this is this is a fundraising exercise for Stacey Abrams. This, in my mind, isn't as legitimate a lawsuit as some of her supporters would say it is. It sounds to me like this is just something she's going to fundraise off of. It is 56 after the hour. Uh, welcome back. The phone number, 404 872 750 wsb talk Jason, we've got less than a minute, but I wanted to squeeze you in here before we move on.
3: Thanks, Eric. Uh, just a quick question, because I'm not in the complete know about the Abrams lawsuit. Um couldn't this backfire horribly against her in the, I'll say it, likely event that Raffensberger gets elected if she's wanting more Secretary of State involvement? I mean, Right.
2: Oh, yeah, yes, it could. And, and what she's really what she technically is asking for is actually the federal government to come in and take control. But the practical aspect of it is is who would be controlling it for the federal government? The Secretary of State would be the liaison with the federal government. Uh, so yeah, it just empowers the federal, the, the Secretary of State. Uh, it's ridiculous. That's why some Democrats actually don't want this lawsuit going forward.
1: Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Lift off. We have a lift.
2: It's nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News, the phone number 404-872-0750, one wsb We've got to get into the climate change issue. Uh, the report came out, the The White House released the report and, and There were numerous headline writers who clearly with partisan bent, were saying, oh, the White House disputes the White House report. Well, it's actually a report of multiple government agencies that come together and... They are required to produce this report by law, and they release it at this time of year, which I find hysterical because it gets cold this time of year, and they release it talking about global warming. Although they call it climate change, they can't call it global warming anymore. They have to call extreme weather. And uh, the report was well over a thousand pages, and you know I did not read the whole thing. I, I skimmed parts of it. Uh, I've got several friends who did make their entire way through it, and you know Noah Rothman, one of those, was on with Morning Joe. And you should see the left wing hate directed towards Noah Rothman for what he said on morning, Joe, about climate change. This, this. Just listen to what he says and then imagine the people who felt compelled to send him all sorts of invective over over this exchange.
1: There's also sort of a finer distinction, but uh, one that is necessary too, which is that a projection of specific impacts is something we should look on with skepticism because it has been – Proven in the past that these projections with very specific impacts fail to meet expectations. The IPCC's 1990 report was wrong on temperatures and rates of increase. The 2001 report was wrong about snowstorms being more or less intense than normal. And just last week, we had a consensus opinion about uh, oceanic temperatures rising uh, being retracted, not because of the rigors of peer review, but because a skeptic with a blog observed and dissected the numbers and pointed out the errors in this collective judgment. So, no, these projections especially one that takes us literally a century out should be looked on with some skepticism and the president says that in a very ornery way but he's not wrong about that skepticism but the idea-
2: and I, I people on the show on morning joe reacted not quite pleasantly to no and, and now he's getting blown up all he did was state facts that's part of the problem here with conversations about climate change is they really have become religious conversations it is an article of faith, not science, uh, what these projections say. I, I mean, science cannot tell you with a reliable degree of certainty what's going to happen to the world's climate in 100 years because events do matter. What if suddenly everyone in Africa gets a, a, an air conditioner? Well, you know what? Um, their projections are going to be really far off. What if there's an economic recession and people fall into poverty and and, uh, the wealth of the world declines? Well, you know, they're probably going to be off in those projections. And on it and on it goes. And the left has a messianic zeal when it comes to climate change. If you're not on board, you're a Holocaust denier. And if you point out inconvenient facts. Well, it's so funny. The the modern climate change movement was really started by Al Gore and his Inconvenient Truth. And yet eh, there are a lot of facts that are inconvenient to them. And, you know, I'm in the position of, yeah, do I think the world's probably warming? Yeah, probably so. Are humans involved? Yeah, there's so many of us. I think it would hard for us not to in some way affect it. Is it mostly natural or mostly human? I think probably mostly natural. Probably a continuation of the last ice age warming up. But at the same time, I don't care. I do not care about this issue. And there is no reason that you should have to care about this issue as well. The reason I don't care about climate change is because there really is nothing that you and I can do about it. We should adapt. I mean, you know, they told us that by 2005, it would be too late to do anything. And then they said, no, 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 no actually 2010. Come 2010, they said, oh, maybe 2020. Now we've got 2018 and they're saying 20, 20, 25, 20, we, they, they always, it always seems like they change the goalpost, move the goalposts that of when we can actually, act. They, they, they don't know. If there actually is a problem beyond natural phenomena, they, they really don't know. The science is not precise enough to tell us, um, but they've been telling us forever. If you actually listen to the scientists who study it the most, who, who are the most pessimistic, they say there's nothing we can do now. There is nothing we can do to stop it from happening
3: will
0: adapt.
2: What really is going on here is there is a a religious zeal to cause the United States to roll back its economy. You notice they don't focus on China or India, the BRIC nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China. Those are the ones causing the problems. It's not us. The president of the United States has pulled us out of the Paris Accord. And even though he has pulled us out of the Paris Accord... Our nation leads the world in reductions of emissions and has largely done so through use of natural gas. Our nation, not a part of the Paris Accord, leads the nation in meeting, leads the world in meeting the Paris Accord's requirements. And yet somehow we're still the bad guy. This is why I do not actually treat uh, the hysteria over climate change with any degree of, of seriousness and why I don't care about it. Because in every scenario, we're always the bad guy. In every scenario, it's the United States that must be punished. In every scenario, it's the United States that must destroy its economy. And in every scenario, it's always say, whether it's global warming, global cooling, climate change, whatever, it's always the United States, and it's always our industrial growth, it is always capitalism's fault. And I got to imagine if the data has changed, and the data has changed, you know, uh, we're now in the period of time where we can see the real world temperature based on the projections from the 90s and the early 2000s, and they're nowhere near close. Is there a slight elevation? Yes, there is. Is it what they said it would be? No, it is not. And yet their projections are always the same. The hysteria is always the same. And the solutions are always the same. And the solution is always the United States needs to shut down. Now, Sarah Sanders, the White House press secretary, has also weighed in on this matter. And you got people in the media openly attacking her for her answer about this report from the administration. That, again, the administration didn't put it together on its own. It was forced to put it together. And by the way, Democrats, by and large, with a handful of Republicans in the Senate, blocked the president from installing new um, National National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration staff. So he's reliant on Obama staff who are maliciously out to scuttle this president's agenda. They're the ones writing this report. Here's Sarah Sanders. Once again, um, we think that this is the most extreme version um, and it's not based on facts. It's based on it's not data driven. We'd like to see something that is more data driven. It's based on modeling, which is extremely hard to do when you're talking about the climate. Again, our focus is on making sure uh, we have the safest, cleanest air and water. And the president's going to do exactly that. Yeah. By the way. Um, my buddy, Will, who actually is an engineer involved in, in studying climate, among other things, points out a paragraph that you need to know about the scenario that everyone is, is channeling and pushing forward. Highlighting aspects of climate science, most relevant to assessment of key societal risks, are included more here than in prior national climate assessments. This approach allows for emphasis of possible outcomes, while relatively unlikely to occur or characterized by high uncertainty, would be pro- particularly consequential and thus associated with large risks. Let me read that to you again. This report uses risk-based framing, which is highlighting aspects of climate science most relevant to assessment of key societal risks are included more here than in prior climate assessments. This approach allows for emphasis of possible outcomes that, while relatively unlikely to occur or characterized by high uncertainty, would be particularly consequential. In other words, they're highlighting things to scare the mess out of you that are, in the words of this report, highly un- or, uh, relatively unlikely to occur or characterized by high uncertainty because they want to scare you. They're highlighting things that are, quote, relatively unlikely to occur or characterized by high uncertainty because those things will scare you and force you to act. This climate report is trying to scare you and drive you by fear, and that was Sarah Sanders' point of why the White House doesn't treat this report with the credibility that the media wants them to. Because the report itself, if anybody bothered to read it, admitted that it was playing up scenarios that are highly unlikely to happen in order to get people to focus on the worst-case scenarios that they themselves say are highly unlikely to happen. This is a fear-driven report. There's no reason to focus on it. And yet the media is insisting that we all care about it. So my response? I don't care. It is 27 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. Thank you all for tuning in. Now, the phone number here, 404-872-0750-1800, WSB Talk. Them's the numbers. I need to tell you, early turnout or early voting is happening. Um, And let me tell you, I can give you an update on the numbers. I got them texted to me earlier um, it looks like Cherokee County, Forsyth County is doing good. Uh, we really, really, really need to boost turnout, however, in, um, in Cobb County needs some turnout uh, and Hall County still needs to turn out. North Georgia really needs to turn out. Uh, you have got to go turn out voters for the secretary of state's office for Brad Raffensperger against John Barrow. Turn out when we come back you just, well, stick around. I got a Christmas message for you. You need to hear. 38 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News, and I am I am going off the beaten path here for a few moments. Um, I know there is plenty of other news out there, and honestly, it has been a struggle this week to try to fit in everything stuff that happened during Thanksgiving while we were all gone and not paying attention. Uh, but there is just something it has, been, and I mentioned this before Thanksgiving, and I just I f- feel absolutely compelled, driven. To mention this to you again. Um, we are entering a period of time in this holiday season where all of us start to get overwhelmed. We, Every single one of us wants to make other people happy and we want to be made happy and we want to give the perfect gift. We want to get the perfect gift. Meals have to be cooked just so like grandma did. Certain foods have to be made because they're expected at this time of year. Certain gifts have to be given. The ornaments have to be on the tree in special ways. We stress ourselves out as much as we stress each other out. We are experts at stressing ourselves out about this stuff. And as we rush into this, I I want you to just meditate for a moment on six words. The gift has already been given. We cannot give or receive a more perfect gift than has been given to us. It was not in the beginning a gift of great majesty or beauty. It was just a baby in a manger because there was no room in any home for his pregnant mother. He was put in a feeding trough. God knows what the messy condition was. He wasn't much to look at. He didn't glow like the painting suggests. You know, away in the manger says, the cattle are lowing, the babe awakes, but little Lord Jesus, still crying he makes, he cried. He was a baby, babies cry. He was a human being. He was fully God, fully man, he had to cry. He had to poop, he had to dirty his diaper, did all the stuff babies do. He brings bread from heaven and water from rocks, he raises up from the dust of the earth, and there he was, laying in a feed trough, in a just unkempt state, having just been pushed out of his mother's womb. C.S. Lewis actually calls this the true myth. Mythology is, explains things to us. Uh, Myth makers in eons past tried to explain reality in fantastical ways that actually elevated truths about reality. Myths tried to make sense of man and earth, tell us a fantastical story. And through the fantastical story, we can find the actual truth of the matter. And C.S. Lewis wrote about this, that uh, Christ's birth, life, death, resurrection were a true myth, a myth working on us the same way others do to tell us real things about reality in fantastical ways, but it had this tremendous difference. It was really true. It happened. And you are right now at this moment in your car listening to me wondering, what the heck is he going on about? You're not interested in the virgin birth, the birth at all, whether it it happened right now, you're interested in getting home. You're interested in traffic, you're interested in the temperatures, you're interested in the shopping list, you're interested in the smiling faces, the joy of people, places, things, you know that in the back of your mind there's this little angst that the joy is tempered with the worries of making ends meet, the stress of the holidays, things you might forget, people you might forget, what you might forget, have we done the Christmas cards, are we doing the Christmas cards, why did the kid make a stupid face in the Christmas card, oh my god my eyes were closed in the Christmas card, what are we doing, And through it all, the what and the who that you might forget, it's actually there in the manger. You forget the reason we go through this every year. It's so commercialized right now, you can't see the babe in the manger because the big inflatable lawn ornament is in the way. But you just need to stop and breathe it in for a minute. You can't give any better than has already been given to you and me. So stop letting it stress you out. Now, I know there are a lot of us who can't escape the worries and the stress. And unbeknownst to you and me right now, someone you know is suffering from loneliness and depression. And it gets worse at this time of year for these people. It may be you who's listening to me right now. You may be suffering from the depression. And they or you, you're not going to say anything about it and no one's going to know it. Because you're going to put on the facade you always put on. You're going to go about your business the way you've always gone about it. You're going to stick to a routine. You're going to get home at night. You're not going to want to get out of bed the next morning. And if you're not that person, you need to seek that person out, just like the child in that manger is seeking you out. You need to reflect a bit of his glory in the lives of others this season because there are people out there who are going to be so overcome with depression. They've lost someone this year. They're not sure if they can make ends meet. All of these things conspire at this time of year to make so many people miserable. And all you need to do is smile. Just smile. Extend a hand. Say hello. Those of you who are good evangelical Christians and you want to share the gospel this year, you know know what? You don't have to go out. You don't have to quote scripture. You don't have to get in people's faces and say, Jesus is the reason for the season. Just, Just smile. You don't have to scream about a war on Christmas. Just extend a hand. Help pick something up off the ground. Be kind to someone. None of these people who are hurting right now are going to tell you they're hurting. And so presume that everyone is and be kind to every single person right now because every one of us is going to stress ourselves out and everyone around us is going to be overwhelmed with something and we're not even going to know. So please, please pay more attention to the people around you instead of the things around you because you can't top the present that's already been given to all of us. Don't even try. Just be a better person this Christmas season to your neighbors, to the people you don't even know who are behind you in the store, queued up, waiting to get out, stop writing checks and tying up the line with coupons, people. But that's another story for another night. Just, just be nice to people. It is a stressful time of year and a lot of people are under a lot of depression and stress and they can't acknowledge it. So just be sweet. That's all I'm saying. And and, you know, I say this somewhat from personal experience. Those of you who know me know I really hate to tell other people no. I do. Uh, you, you should listen to Charlie, my wife, the pig farmer. They, they all know it, um, and they all tell me. And, and I just I, – I'm a people pleaser, and I, I hate to tell people no. And that – that is what stresses me out this time of year, that and, and the resurgent um, and just I mean, how am I going to make ends meet at the end of the year for the resurgent and for my family and everything. these things, they all stress me out. And I don't know if I'm going through them, other people are going through them and I've got it uh, much easier than a lot of people do and they still stress me out. And I still worry about them. Um, I I still need to win the lottery and and have some sugar daddies for the resurgent and and get the conference sponsors and everything else so I can stop worrying about the stuff. And I'll, I'll find something else to worry. My family motto sometimes, my personal motto is, why pray when you can worry? I know I need to do better than that. And I just, I encounter people on a regular basis. Now we're going through hard times and they don't want to talk about it. And I discovered just in the last 24 hours, a friend. Uh, on, on very, very difficult times, and I had absolutely no idea. You would never know it in their daily existence. And they're just miserable, uh, particularly because of the holiday season. And I can only imagine how many people out there are in the same boat, and they're not going to speak up because they're embarrassed, they're sad, they don't know to speak up. And you just it, it's amazing what just a smile can do. And as you're all stressed out, a ball of stress planning your Christmas and wrapping paper and everything's got to be just so. The tree's got to be up. I, I've got all the decorations laid out. I haven't even started putting them up, folks. i got to do that. It's just too cold outside to decorate at night after work. But nonetheless, just just be nice. Show some grace to other people around you. You have no idea what they're going through. And there are a lot of people who suffer depression at this time of year. And so please just just be kind out there. it's 55 after the hour it is eric erickson here now before i get out of here tonight i gotta play you this audio of mike lee on the floor of the senate today talking about why he opposes the Mueller protection bill that jeff flake is trying to hold up votes on judges and lee is is objecting i want to play this for you to explain it to you
3: reasons articulated by justice scalia in his classic opinion in Morris v, Morrison v Olson: the prosecutorial authority of the united states belongs in the department of justice the, the department of justice answers to the president of the united states its principal officers consist of people appointed by the president serving at the pleasure of the president after being confirmed by the united states senate this is a fundamental component of our liberty. The separation of powers protect us. That doesn't mean we're going to agree with what every president in every administration always does. But as Justice Scalia explains, we cannot convert an office like this one, an office like the previously existing Office of Independent Counsel, without creating a de facto fourth branch of government, fundamentally undermining the principle of separation of powers that is so core to our liberty. And on that basis, Madam President, I object.
2: Amen and amen, and he's right. This is an executive branch office. You cannot make an executive branch officer uh, unfireable by the president because the president is the executive. The executive power flows through the president. And Jeff Flake is grandstanding on this. And by the way, I, I think if the president were to toss Mueller, it would probably be something that they would impeach him on. But I think the president can fire Mueller. And as much as these people in Washington are raising gain about the president of the United States, the fact of the matter is that the president of the United States is the executive and there are constitutional separation of power issues at stake. And we can't just do this because they don't like the president.